going to be talking about uh, the wise men. And we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses. Would you stand with me? Let's read together. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for your people in this place. I pray, Father, that you would anoint us, that you would touch us, that you would change us today, that we would leave here more conformed to the image of Jesus than we were when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Those of you who were here this this last Wednesday night, uh, boy, the star of Bethlehem, that's, that's, that's good. It's really good. I got an email from from one of the guys who had come for the first time, and he said, I'm really glad that, uh, that I go to a church that, that shows things like this and gives us an opportunity to come and, and, and watch this, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it next year and the next year and the next year as well. Uh, and I, I know how he feels because I've seen it about four or five times, and it's, it's, it, it, it's rich each time. Uh, and some of the things that you heard on Wednesday night will be a few of the things that you, that you hear here today. Um, but that's okay. Uh, those of you who didn't come on Wednesday, you probably need to get a hold of it and watch it at some point. We call them wise men. Uh, that's a question mark. What, what is that doing there? Let's see what happens when I press this button again. Did my, yeah, my picture just totally went away. What, is, it, is it gone up there too? Yeah? Somebody stole a beautiful picture of, of magi who were riding across the desert following a star. Can you believe somebody would do something like that? Huh? They took a different route. 
They took a different route. Okay, very good. <laughs> well, well, we'll just pretend like there's a picture up there. You're a creative bunch of people. Uh, and it was up there in the first service. They, they, we called them wise men. The Bible actually calls them magi. Magi is, is, is the plural of the word magus, and uh, it's, the, it's the word from which our word magic is derived. In ancient times, they were, the Magi were simply ones who knew how to look at the stars and read what God had written there. That's basically what they were. But over time, and by the time it's kind of gotten to us, this idea of, uh, uh, of, of magic that has developed into that of a, a practitioner of occult magic. These guys were not practitioners of the occult. That is, that is not what they were. We have proven ourselves as human beings to be quite capable of taking God's gifts and perverting them. Even in the church. I mean, God, uh, one of the gifts that God gives to the church is a gift of healing. One of the gifts that he gives is a gift of miracles. Uh, the, the church has, people, some within the church have been quite capable of taking those gifts and turning them into a way to make money, which isn't what, that's a perversion of it. That's not, that's not what God gave it for. And, and the same thing really with all of the gifts that God has given to us. And so these guys were not practitioners of, of, of the occult magic. Um, these magi were prior to the descent of that term into what it has now become. They were also not kings. I said, what, are all my pictures gone? Huh? Reload. Yeah. Okay, try reloading it. Actually, uh, okay, that's not one of mine. Uh, yeah. Actually, uh, uh, yeah, I was going to say that uh, Randy's actually got a copy of it up there, so we can put it in. Anyway, let me go on, let me go on and talk to you. These guys were, I got a, a great picture of, uh, <laughs> these guys were not kings. I mean, we, we sometimes refer to them as kings and, uh, and all, but that, they, they, weren't, they weren't that by any means. Certainly in a political sense, they were, they were not kings and they were, they were not astrologers in the way that we think of astrology today. And they weren't, uh, and there probably weren't three of them. We don't know that. We just infer that because there were three gifts mentioned in Matthew and also because three is a really cool number and it fits well into songs and, and things like that. And so that's, that's why we think of their being, yes, they're back. Okay, these are the really cool, this is the really cool picture of God. And you kind of go, that's cool? Yeah. That is so cool because that's not what we think about. I mean, we think of these, of these, of these Europeans in flowing robes and crowns of gold on their head and everything. They probably look like these guys. Seriously. Probably what is probably what they look like when you get right down to it. There are many things that we have lost or that have been cheapened, even as we have progressed, made strides technology-wise. We we gave up butter for margarine. You know, if you take a stick of margarine and you put it outside, nothing will eat it. Human beings, we're the only ones 
Who, who will do that? We now look at the, at the sky and the elements of the universe in one of two ways. We either look at it as bits of matter governed by natural principles and, and of interest as masses of solids and liquids and gases and traveling certain distances at certain speeds and subject to certain physical laws. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's okay. A lot of that stuff is cool, but that's primarily what we think it's there for now. Or if we look at it spiritually at all, we look at, uh, uh, we look at it as celestial forces that somehow control our makeup or somehow control our destiny. And, and it, is, it is a ready-made theory for our culture and for our day and for our people because it can be condensed to a sentence or two in the newspaper. This is my horoscope today. Or I can buy, you know, I can buy in the checkout line a book that will tell me what kind of person I am. You didn't know? And so it's, you know, astrology of an occult nature is the kind that, uh, that we sometimes look at the stars with. But clearly, this has always been condemned by Scripture. When Israel was taken into captivity, what was the main reason that they were taken into captivity? Anybody know? I, yeah, very good. Idolatry was why they were taken into captivity. And it wasn't just these little golden figurines or big wooden figurines that they made. They, they worshipped the stars. They, they worshipped the celestial bodies because they felt like that they controlled them, that they actually had power over them and were able to, uh, to, to, to do things. The Bible speaks in very negative terms of those who, who worship the Lord, but also worship other things because a lot of these people, they, they worship the Lord. They would have gone, yeah, uh, we worship the Lord. We absolutely do. When, when Israel was taken into captivity, they, uh, and uh, Judah was taken into captivity in Babylon, uh, Jeremiah was left behind with a remnant in the land. And if you've read Jeremiah, you'll discover that, uh, well, there was, a, there was a political assassination that took place there. The people got afraid. They thought that Nebuchadnezzar was going to come back in and just wipe them all out because of this assassination. And so they went to, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with this. They went to Jeremiah and they said, what should we do? Should we stay here or should we flee and go to Egypt? Well, you go ask the Lord and whatever he tells you, we will obey. Jeremiah went and asked the Lord, and the Lord said, stay here. I will will make Nebuchadnezzar kindly disposed towards you. He's not going to come in and punish you for what's happened. In in fact, I will will cause him to look on you with favor. And so Jeremiah came back to them and said, you made a big mistake when you asked me to go and ask the Lord what to do. And said that you would obey. Because I'm going to tell you what the Lord has said to do, but you're, you're not going to obey. The Lord says, stay here. And they went, you're lying. You know why they went, you're lying? Well, because they were afraid. They didn't want to stay. But also, they had other sources of information. They had other places they were turning to for direction. Other voices speaking to them about what to do. And so they fled and went down to Egypt. And when when they got down to Egypt, 
they begin to worship Ashtoreth, the queen of heaven, and, and bow down to the starry host and all. And Jeremiah said, this is the very reason that, that we were taken into captivity. You shouldn't do this. And they, they went, no, 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 no. When we bowed down to the queen of heaven before, we had all the stuff that we needed. It was only when we quit worshiping her that, that things got rough on us. And so we're going to worship her. And what tends to happen is we, we tend to listen to these other voices. And it's not... You know, I know that it, kind of, it starts out innocuously and, and it's kind of like, oh, wow, I don't really believe this. It's just kind of fun. Uh, this is just something that I do every day. I don't read the Bible every day, but, but, I, but, I, but, I, but I do this every day. And the truth of the matter is it's a whole lot easier to read a blurb in the newspaper than it is to pray and ask God and hear something from the Holy Ghost in our lives for direction. And we're going to do what's easier because that's, the way we've become. Anyway, like I say, it, 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 the Bible speaks very negatively about, about such. Zephaniah 1.4, I will stretch out my hand against those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host. Those who bow down and swear by the Lord, they also swear by Molech and, and, and turn back from following the Lord. They don't seek him. They don't inquire of him. They don't need to. They've got the internet. Isn't it great that the Bible is so contemporary? Well, neither of these, neither just stuff, matter out there floating around by physical laws or an occult viewpoint are the biblical way of looking at the sky. Now, I I, I don't know, the lights are pretty bright on me, but maybe you can see that you may look at that and go, is that real? That's what the sky really looks like without light pollution. It's a blaze. It, it's, it's incredible. And God, God put it there. He put it there for us. We, Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Psalm 19 was quoted on Wednesday night. Another guy, it's always been one of my favorite psalms, though. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. What the psalmist is saying is the sky will tell you stuff, stuff that God wrote there. And it doesn't matter what language you speak. If you look up in, in, in the sky and you see Polaris, the North Star, it doesn't matter if you speak English or, 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 or Swedish or Swahili. You know, it's, it, that's Polaris, the North Star. You know that. Your, your culture knows that. Isaiah 40, verse 26. If you're, ever feeling, if you're ever feeling kind of down or you're ever feeling discouraged or you're ever feeling overwhelmed by the world, read Isaiah 40. I'm telling you, I mean, it'll, it'll just blow you away. But here's a little snippet from, from it. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Mr. Larson on Wednesday night was pointing out the fact that when he says not one of them is... Well, first of all, God calls each of them by name. I mean, look at all of those. He knows 
the name of each one of them. It's not N436B. You know, it's got a name and God knows what it is. And beyond that, but when, it, when he says not one of them is missing, it's not a matter of God going, now wait a minute, I thought I created 8,423 stars in that galaxy and there's only 422 right now. Where did it go? You know, that's not it. What, what, what it means is it's exactly where he put it. It's exactly in the right place. He put it there. He put it there for a reason. He put, he put it there for signs. It's biblically permissible to see signs in the sky. Joel chapter 2 says, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. And the moon, don't look up at the lights before you turn and go to the other side. And the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Over in Luke 21, 25, Jesus says, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity, the roaring and tossing of the sea. I've always tended to think that that meant that the stars were, you know, going to do something weird or, or whatever. No, they're going to be in exactly the place where they are. And if you know how to read them, they don't control your destiny. They don't control who you are. They have no power over your life, but they are a message from God. There are signs that are fearful for the nations, but glorious and wonderful for those who worship the Lord. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 30, at that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all of the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And you would expect His second coming to be accompanied by such a sign because His first coming was as well. The Bible tells us that it was. Where is He, the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw His star in the east and have come to worship Him. I won't go into details of the star. You should have seen the movie. You can still get it. Uh, only to say that Jupiter and Regulus and, and Venus were all involved as well as the sun and the moon. And, and it's pretty cool what they did. These magi were believers. They, they did not come out of intellectual curiosity. They didn't come because they went, wow, that's a... Wow, look at that star. Let's go see what that's about. No, they, they were believers. They knew what that was about. And it said they have come to worship him. That was the reason that they, that was the reason that they made this trip. Otherwise, why would they have been interested in even a king of such a minor people as Israel was in terms of influence there? And, and perhaps they weren't Jews, but even if they, if, even if they weren't, uh, you know, the, anybody who can see signs and understand them, Rahab, the reason that she allowed the spies to come and stay with her when, when Israel was around Jericho and, and the spies came over was because she had seen signs. She didn't necessarily see them in the heavens, but she had seen signs. She said, we've heard, we have heard how the Red Sea parted for, for you guys. Uh, we, we heard how God brought you out of, out of Egypt we have heard how he fed you in the wilderness. We've heard how water followed, came from the rock and followed you around. This is God. This is, 
This is, as far as I'm concerned, this is the Lord. Nobody can stand in his way, and, and I'm on your side. I'm on your side. God shows signs all the time. It's just a matter of deciding whether or not that will lead you to faith, whether or not you're going to believe it's the Lord. These guys had come, saw this star in the east. They had come to worship him. And while they, they rejoiced, Herod did not. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. While Herod was a, um, a ruthless political animal, killing both family and friends and foe, anybody who stood in his way, anybody who seemed to be um, a threat, he was also one of the greatest benefactors that Israel had in terms of worship. His expansion of the temple in Jerusalem was truly magnificent. Uh, Solomon built a temple in, uh, somewhere in the 10th century before Christ. And it was not very large, but it was, it was magnificent. It was impressive. And it lasted for about 400 years, 500 years, somewhere in that neighborhood. And it was destroyed when the Jews were taken into captivity to Babylon. Then when they came back, they built a temple. And it was, it, it, it was not very magnificent or very large, but it was what they had. It was the best they could do. And it endured for approximately 500 years. And Herod came along, and Herod wanted to he wanted his name to live forever. And maybe he, maybe he got his wish. I don't know, because we still know about him now. But he started these huge building projects. And, and his most famous and his grandest was the expansion of the temple. And so the, the religious leaders of the day made an alliance with one of the most vile and wicked kings that has ever been known so that they could get uh, their temple rebuilt and rebuilt to incredible proportions and incredible specifications. And that's exactly what happened. They, they, now, they didn't trust him. Uh, I will say that. They made him quarry the stone before they would allow him to tear down the old temple to build this new one because it had to be built on, on the right place. And they also you know, set up a, a method whereby they could continue the daily sacrifices while it was being built. But this grand temple was built. And there are two lessons really to learn from this before we move on. Because this temple didn't last 100 years. In AD 70, it was destroyed by Titus and the Roman legions when they came in and destroyed Jerusalem. And I think one of the lessons is that not everything that man considers to be magnificent is something that God considers to be magnificent. God can look at a small temple and go, 500 years, yeah. He can look at a temple that maybe isn't all that well furnished and go, yeah, let's give that one 500 years. And he can look at a palatial temple and go, eh, let's get rid of that thing. Don't need that. Second thing that I think we can learn from this is that not every public figure or politician who makes outward religious displays is a godly person. Just... Just saying. We know that later Herod went on to slaughter the innocents, the innocent infants and toddlers because of this sign. He was terrified by this sign. 
It was an act of one who experienced great fear, especially when you consider the fact that Herod was over 70 years old when these guys came to him. I mean, you know, you got an infant, he's Messiah, okay. What are you going to be, Herod, when he grows up? I mean, you're not going to be here. And yet he felt so, so threatened and so fearful that he had all of the young boys, two years and, and under, in the vicinity of Bethlehem killed. It also demonstrates the mistaken ideas that were in play about the coming of Messiah. Clearly, Herod and virtually all of the, all of the, the the worldly leaders were expecting Messiah to be an earthly type of ruler. Even the spiritual rulers, even the spiritual rulers had become worldly enough to be threatened by the coming of the one that they were supposed to be looking for. I mean, think about that. Their, Their whole thing was built around the fact that, well, it's built around temple worship and the worship of God, but they were certainly looking forward to the coming of Messiah, but they weren't. Because when he comes, if he's, if he's what we think he's going to be, he might take our job. When I was a, a child, I used to, our church talked about the second coming quite a lot, and I remember being excited about the second coming virtually all year except for December. Because in December, it was like, you know, Jesus, I really want you to come back, but I want Santa Claus to come first. (laughs) You are going to wait until after December the 25th, right? And then I get a little older, you know, I'm I'm in my late teens and early 20s and stuff. And maybe it's not so much the Christmas thing anymore, but it's, you are going to wait till I get married, right? And I would like for you to come back, but I'd like to find a wife first. Because I know that's why you put me here. <laughs> and then you get older and you kind of go, well, okay, you've, Christmas, you, you've had a lot of presents and you, you've got a, a wife and everything. It's other stuff. Our lives get so filled up with things that seriously, I mean, I really want Jesus to come back, but I, I really want to go to this game first. I really want Jesus to come back, but I really want to see my kids graduate. I really want to see... I really want to see this business take off. I really want to get this done. I really want to do that. What about, I really just want him to come. The Magi go forward. The star literally went ahead of them. And indeed it stopped in conjunction with the very place where they were told. And you kind of go... Star stopped, right? Yeah. Well, it's all explained in that Star Bethlehem thing. I'm not going to tell you about it, but it it did. It stopped. It actually stopped. And it produced great joy. And of course it produced great joy. I mean, imagine the good news itself was, was enough to produce great joy. But you've made this long journey. You saw a star. You saw a star formation in the sky that set you out on a 700-mile journey without a car, set you out on a 700-mile journey, and then when you get there, you find out, well, yeah, there's a prophecy about it, and it's just, it's just right down the road here. And as, you're, and as you're going right down the road here, not only did you see the star, not only is there a prophecy about it, the star stops right at the place where you're supposed to go. I mean, yeah, inside you're going, yes, yes, we're, we're on to something here. This is we're, we're, we're on the right track. And they came to the house and they, they found the toddler. Jesus was not an infant at this point. The, the wise men were not at the, the manger. Uh, he was at least a year old. 
And so he was in a house, and the Bible actually calls him a toddler at this point in time. So they weren't present with the shepherds and uh, the little drummer boy and the lowing sheep and all, and all those other things. But you know what? It's okay. It's okay to, to, to have them in, uh, in the manger scene. That, that, that's fine. Because whatever your favorite nativity scene is, I have, I have some shocking news for you. That is not what Mary looked like. That's not her face. That's not what Joseph looked like either. That's not what a manger looks like, for crying out loud. But that's not the object. The object of art wasn't to make a photograph so that we could know, oh, that's Mary and Joseph. Well, look at that right there. No, uh uh-uh. The object is to take us behind the veil and send us through time and space to a place that... We can't really go and to, and, and to instill in us the wonder of the miracle that took place. And so, yeah, it's fine. Have, have, the, have the wise men coming into your, you know, little manger scene there, your creche and, and shepherds, you know, saying hi to them and things like that. That's okay. That's great. But they weren't really there. They came and they worshiped him. And this is where I really want to go. So that was all introduction. And I now have seven minutes to finish. It's unlikely that they sang. I don't think they sang. I don't think they came in and burst into a holy night. They worshipped him. They brought offerings, that's for sure. But, but here's the thing. We, if you're, our idea of worship in our culture has become one of an occasion, an event. Worship is something I go to do. Worship is something that takes place at a certain part in the service. No. No. If that's your idea of worship, then you have a very impoverished idea of what worship is. Because worship is something much, much bigger than that. I was talking to... I'm probably going to go about five minutes over, guys. Is that okay with you? It doesn't matter if it is or not. I'm going to. Uh, I was talking to uh, the father of one of the uh, of one of the gals in the play. They don't attend this church; they attend another church. But he was telling me he was raised Catholic, and he um, and he got involved in one of those weird churches, uh, Presbyterian or something. You know, one of the off brands. And 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 it was it was it was a little. The little church that they were they were bringing they're all off brands as far as as far as the Roman church is concerned but we're all off brands it doesn't matter uh, and um, he, he he was playing guitar for the youth group and the pastor it was it was a new church and the pastor heard him doing that and he he went wow that is great man hey look could could you lead worship on on, on Sunday morning for us and he went no 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 he said well, yeah. I, Come on, lead. lead. Uh, we, we don't have anybody else. Will you lead worship? What do you mean you don't have anybody else? I'm, I can't lead worship. And the guy finally said to him, well, you know, you play the guitar. Can, can, you, can you not lead some songs? Oh, I'll do that. Because his concept of worship wasn't playing guitars and singing songs. His concept of worship was bringing the word. Serving the table, baptizing, praying for the sick. It's all worship. 
It's all when Kevin stood at the at the at the waffle counter <laughs> and the lady said, take a waffle thing, and Kevin said, uh, you know, I, I I won't compromise my beliefs for you know a waffle maker. That was worship. That was worship. When you forgive somebody an offense, that is worship. These guys came and they and they brought the trip was worship. When you get up on Sunday morning and you get in your car and you drive here, that is worship. Before you before you walk in that door, you have already worshipped. These guys came and they brought they brought the three gifts. And you know what they were? Gold. Gold is uh, Jesus was born to be king of kings and lord of lords. Gold is the, is the medal of kings. And, and maybe this gift certainly paled in comparison to the 9,000 pounds of gold that the queen of Sheba brought to Solomon. But Solomon needed it. This is just a symbolic portion given to the one who created and owns all the gold that has ever been mined in the earth and all that is still there and all of the gold that's floating in the in the microscopic particles of space. A king with no gold is hardly a king. They brought him frankincense. He was born to be our great high priest and to be so forever, not just for a, not just for a season. Frankincense was a, was a, a component of the keteret, the, the, uh, the, the sacred incense God required to be used by the priest in the, in the tabernacle worship in the wilderness. It was one of the four major elements that God gave to Moses in saying, this is how you're to mix the incense that's to be used in worship of me. Frankincense was essential to the work of a priest of the Lord. And they brought myrrh, which is a really strange thing to bring to a baby shower. What an interesting third gift. Um, It's usually mentioned as being a key ingredient used for embalming the dead. And strange gift for an infant, for for an ordinary infant. It it could be seen simply as a reminder that life is short. It goes by quickly. Your life on this earth will not endure forever. For this infant, it clearly points toward his sacrifice, the death, burial, resurrection. Jesus Christ, why he came from the very beginning. But myrrh has another major purpose that I really hadn't thought about until this week. But that makes it even more appropriate. And that is, it's a healer. Myrrh actually has been shown to lower bad cholesterol and raise good cholesterol. It lowers the... uh, uh, Blood sugar level. Diabetics in the Middle East are often treated with myrrh. That's how they lower that. It uh, it relieves pain. It's used in balms to relieve pain. It's an antiseptic agent in cleansing wounds. It is actually uh, used to cleanse the body of, of parasites. Sometimes when when people have, have those, I mean, it's it's a healer. And so this myrrh that was brought not only pointed to him as being sacrificed, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but 
but, but the healer, the one, the one who is risen with healing in his wings, the one who's, by whose stripes we are healed. King, priest, sacrifice, healer. God is so great and full of wonder. His name is wonderful, by the way. That we often worship far beyond what we know we're doing. These guys worshiped beyond what they knew. I mean, they knew it was a king, so yeah, we got, we got to bring some gold. But I seriously doubt that on the way there, they were discussing the fact that, oh, did you bring the frankincense? You know, he's going to be a priest too, uh, because all kings are priests. Well, no, actually, no kings are priests. This is the only one. This is, this is the prototype that it happened. So I don't think they were going, that they quite knew why, let's take some frankincense. And I'm quite certain that they didn't understand, oh, he's going to be the one who will die for our sins. He's going to be crucified and risen again. We, we need to, myrrh, that's the perfect thing that we'll take. For, and he's a healer. Oh, yeah, we, we got it. I'm sure they didn't know that. And yet they brought these things and they were perfect. Absolutely perfect for what they were giving to this child. See, when you come just to worship. When you don't come with an agenda, the only reason you are coming is just to worship. Things happen, you do things that you have no idea what you have just done. You have, you have, you have no idea what you have just shake, shaken loose. And I'm not just talking about coming into the building. I'm talking about getting out, starting the car on a cold Sunday morning and going, let's go. Th- things have happened. They worshiped beyond what they knew, and they were not put off by circumstances. They didn't walk in and go, ooh, this, isn't, this doesn't look like where a king is born. They, they, didn't, they, didn't, you know, they didn't come in and go, well, where are they? where's the court? Where are the attendants? They went, this is him. Come to worship. You know, I, 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 really, I really like what's been done out here in the, in the, in the foyer, the entrance foyer. I really like the, the, the well. It, 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 you know, it's, it's better than... $2.97 a gallon gas. I mean, that, that's, that's good news. But if, if nothing had been done, if this place hadn't been painted in the last 20 years, and you come to worship, you worship in the splendor, in the beauty of His holiness, not man-made beauty. So they weren't put off by the circumstances, and as a result, they received honor far beyond what they could ever have expected or ever imagined. They did not come, I promise you, they did not come thinking, if we'll do this, they will write a book about us. And people will talk about us. And almost 2,000 years from now, Ronnie Meek will preach about us. No, they, they didn't know any of that stuff would happen. They just came to worship. And in this season of mystery and wonder, in this season of the miracle of the incarnation, that begins to happen in our lives and it begins to be revealed. If we will just worship, just worship, not just at carols by candlelight, not just on Sunday morning, Like I said, every offense that is forgiven, every 
waffle maker that is left in the shrink wrap. Every person that you deal with at work in the name and the grace and the power of Jesus Christ, it's worship. It's worship. Would you stand with me? Those who are going to pray with people, come forward, the elders and their wives, the uh, staff. If you got... If you got bad stuff going on, if you it might be physical, it might be financial, it might be relationship, it, or it might be confusion. You know, if you got bad stuff going on, where should you take that? Cross. You can take it to God, or you can find yourself another source. This point of the service, this point of worship, is where we have the opportunity to. To pray with people who need God to do something, need to hear something, need, need a source of strength, need a source of refuge. And so we invite you, we invite you to come. If you don't know Christ, we'd love to introduce you to him. We can do that as well. The rest of us are going to sing and pray and worship, invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. But this is worship too. By coming, what you're saying is, God is who I want to have handle my problem. God is who I trust with this. Let's sing. Let's create an atmosphere for Him to do it. I worship
encourage you to not only come this afternoon and then make plans to come Wednesday night, the next Wednesday night, but invite somebody. What's the worst that can happen? Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world as King of kings and Lord of lords, as the great high priest, as a sacrifice for our sins. May that sacrifice be effective in your life. May you have the joy of those who worship him. May that joy and that worship overflow and bless the lives of those around you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.